0: Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the distinct privilege of presenting E.C. with a question on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, we aim to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you as always for tuning in. How are you today, EC?
1: I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful.
0: This isn't really a continuation of our last episode, but this is maybe a logical jumping off point from our last conversation about the health at every size movement, if that's what we want to call it. So we're going to dive into intuitive eating, subject of intuitive eating today. Before we do though, how is life on the 800 gram challenge? What's new over at Optimize Me Nutrition?
1: Yeah, it's still going strong. I recently posted, kind of, I've crossed another milestone with it. I've had now over nine hundred gyms do the eight hundred right. gram I challenge. Saw that. Yeah, I yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. And so, by my estimation, at least fifteen thousand of individuals have done it. I've also had some corporate wellness clients. I, I wrapped up a challenge with Puma earlier this year, and it went really nice. well with them. So. You know, just want to remind people of these organized challenges, not just of the 800-gram challenge, but also lazy macros, adding in kind of that protein component and lifestyle, and, and that these are viable options if you want to run, you know, challenges for your gym, for your company, to reach out and figure out what your options are. And also just to remind people that the 800-gram challenge is a registered trademark. So if you are going to run one that is an 800-gram challenge officially, it's you're going to want to reach out to me for the details. What
0: does it look like for a gym to do the 800 gram challenge?
1: Generally what happens is they get material that are promotional material, sort of to advertise to their own members. Hey, you know, we're gonna do a challenge. This is when the date starts. Why would you wanna do it? All of that stuff. And then they also get educational materials from the rules to, you know, what's going to count and not count, which are always popular questions, leaderboard functionality, as well as education during the challenge. And I think that's maybe where historically I've seen some challenges not go quite as well. There's like a lot of buildup for day one. And then, you know, what happens on week two and three? Are people still engaged and interested? So I really try to help the gym with that, with kind of some content throughout the challenge.
0: All right, 800 gram challenge. Folks want to know more about maybe the more organized efforts that they can put in. What's the best place for them to go check out?
1: Yeah, OptimizeMeNutrition.com slash 800g.
0: All right, my friend, intuitive eating. This is fun for me. This is not something that I know very much about. I've heard the term before, and obviously, it's relatively self-explanatory. The, the, you know, in terms of what you know what they call it. But I'm excited to actually dive into this. Maybe what do we need to know about the connection, maybe between health at every size, or or why? This is kind of the logical next conversation for us or what do we need to know about intuitive eating generally in order to kind of get into this conversation about its efficacy, it's it's worth all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so we've got this health at every size movement, we talked about this anti-discrimination movement mixed kind of with a health hypothesis. And yep. as I mentioned in that episode, I think there's some really really great points about it and then I also think they get some stuff wrong too and basically it's this confusion intermingling of the words weight, health, and worth. And my main point there is, yeah, I agree that, you know, health is not only defined by your weight, but I disagree with them that I do think weight should be continued to be part of the overall health picture. So you don't just throw it out completely because it's not the only marker to determine your health. Now, Mm -hmm. so then it leads into, okay, well, what does this have to do with intuitive eating? So intuitive eating is this diet that's generally promoted by the health at every size movement and and what it is in their own words, intuitive eating is this anti dieting approach to me, you know, and I've read the book by, by the founders of it, it, it's largely a method to deal with emotional eating. And the short summary is, I think it's overall great for that reason, but unfortunately they make some other statements or claims similar to kind of health at every size that I disagree with and we're going to have to untangle. But but the founders, both of them are registered dietitians and they have this intuitive eating book that, that's really going to be the kind of subject of what we dive into here.
0: Emotional eating. What do you mean when you say that? Maybe what do they mean when they say that? Just so, again, just so that we're kind of all on the same page.
1: Yeah, I mean, emotional eating comes up in many ways in their book, and I think they do actually a great job of, of teasing that out. I will say that I think I had a different opinion exactly about what intuitive eating was. Like when you hear the words, it means, oh, you know, base eat based on intuition, right? Yep. And, and they definitely flesh it out more than that. And And some of the points I think are great, but again, I have some disagreement there. But it's not only about, you know, Just go with your gut or Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, eat whatever you think. They have some aspects of that, but it's definitely more delineated than just that kind of, you know, hear those two words and then interpret what that means.
0: Mm -hmm. And is it ironic that they have an anti-diet approach, but it's a a diet? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm glad you you picked
1: up on that. I'm glad (laughs) you picked up on that. I, I think that's a really interesting point that weaves into to one of their principles. They they do all these principles, right? So they have 10 mm. principles of intuitive eating which which is kind of a funny thing for me because I have my 10 principles, yeah, right? So when I first stole it from you? No, no. I mean they actually have theirs <laughs> well before I did, right?
0: Clearly they stole it from you. <laughs> it me here, you see. I know.
1: I know. So that was kind of cool. I was like, "Oh, cool. You know, they do this principle framework. Yep. You know, they're going to set this Guidelines before they talk about specifics, and so they do these principles, and then there's this anti dieting approach. But one of their principles is kind of about like how to diet. So I, I do mm-hmm. think that's a little bit interesting. But yeah, their ten principles are just really briefly. I, I won't go into all of them specifically, but reject the diet mentality, honor your hunger, make peace with food, challenge the food police, discover the satisfaction factor. Number six, feel your fullness. Seven, cope with your emotions with kindness. Eight, respect your body. Nine, movement, feel the difference. And then 10, honor your health, gentle nutrition. And so we're going to get to your point about, you know, is this really a diet? That's going to come up in in point 10. And I don't want to go through all of those principles individually. I I think some of the concepts are sort of redundant. But the the main concepts, in my opinion, are they criticize throughout these 10 principles, they criticize overly restrictive and extreme approaches to dieting. They want you to listen to your hunger, hunger signaling and your fullness cues. You could kind of call this the mindful eating type stuff. Mm, yep. And what I really love is they, they want you to deal with your emotions, not through food. This kind of gets to your question about, you know, what is emotional eating, but is eating a coping mechanism? You know, don't judge yourself for eating a piece of cake or not being a, a certain size, but recognize if you have kind of these, these feelings around eating or feelings around yourself because of eating. And and so I think all of that stuff is great. Like I'm totally on board with that stuff. And I get questions all the time about emotional eating and and how to deal with it. And I think they have a great approach, you know, emotional eating is tough. And part of the reason I kind of answered your question briefly before is because it comes in so many forms and, and they address a lot of that. Like Emotional eating can be something that I think is relatively benign, like maybe you're just bored. <laughs> mm. Maybe you're just, you know, procrastinating or a distraction from a task that you don't want to do, like something tough that for your job and you'd rather just go, you know, eat some chips or something like that. Yep. But it, it can get more serious to the fact that maybe it is truly a coping mechanism from some other trauma. Maybe it's even in a self-destruction destructive way, like people would use alcohol or drugs. And oftentimes it often comes with some form of negative self-talk, like, you know, you're bad or not good enough or whatever that is. And so in that sense, I am sure, 100% sure they have helped lots of people in that category. And for that reason, I really do think this is great. But to me, I see all that emotional health stuff as kind of mental health work. It's not really nutrition, right? It's more mm. about dealing the thoughts and the beliefs and the values around a behavior of the food, whether or not, you know, cause we can see that with drugs or other habits. I just don't think it's necessarily like the way to kind of deal with nutrition. I think it's the way to deal with the emotional issues surrounding nutrition, but kind of my final point there is I, I like, I like that aspect of it, but I'm not sure why they didn't just stop there. Like I would have loved it if they're like, Hey, we've got the solution for emotional eating. This is how we can reframe your, your thoughts and behaviors around food and then we can deal with kind of making diet progress because I I think that's the best part I think when they then try to leap into kind of making the claims related to dieting and health is is where they make some false statements
0: you sent me the list of principles prior to this and uh, you know and you flagged the ones that we wanted to dive in today I assume that the principles that we're going to kind of unpack a little bit more are the ones where maybe they leapt into let's just call it science, <laughs> yeah. where maybe they should have stayed away from it. Is that a fairer yeah, guess? Yeah, totally, okay. totally. Cool. Okay, so the I think you flagged four, one, two, three, four, four, the principles that we're going to break down a little bit today and let you unpack them a bit. So they're going to be reject the diet mentality, challenge the food police, feel your fullness and honor your health, gentle nutrition. So let's do that first one first. Reject the diet mentality. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I've got some issues with this one, but I want to say if, if you were to go to the intuitive eating website and you just read the title of the principles and you read their two or three sentences below each one, I actually don't have a problem with the text listed there. <laughs> I think that again, the overall concept that they present in a lot of these areas is quite sound. In the book, mm-hmm. however, they do get into details exactly what they mean. And this is where I have some differences. And so this is where I have some differences with the reject the diet mentality, you know, principle. And again. Yeah, part of this I totally agree with because, you know, they rail about diet culture and all these really restrictive, ridiculous approaches to dieting that are marketed and people try. And, And I hope that people know listening to this podcast that, yeah, I agree with that. Like, I don't want you to do these overly restrictive diets. But as I mentioned in the last podcast, the health at every size one, just because a lot of diets on the market are not good ones does not mean the concepts of calories and macronutrients are invalidated. You know, like the health at every size materials I reviewed, you know, they, the intuitive eating book authors, they cite a lot of numbers about diets failing. And and we have to remember that most people try these ridiculous restrictive diets. And so of course they're going to have these high failure rates. Right. And so I like that they're against these extreme diet approaches. That's great. But then they take the other extreme of like, well, no diets work. (laughs) And it's like, well, what happened to the middle ground? What happened to recommending kind of the basics of good nutrition without crazy restriction? And interestingly enough, I I think they ultimately do. We're going to get to that. But I kind of see this a lot in this space. It's like disagreements by taking the concept to the extreme end. You know, like most diets on the market are bad, so all diets are bad. And it's like, hold on, wait, we don't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater type of thing. Like, yeah, let's Mm -hmm. reject stupid diets and keep the ones that are sensible.
0: Learn to tell the difference between the two or or learn what a good diet looks like versus a stupid diet. Totally. Totally. (laughs) That, that feels to me to be more useful.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm.
0: hundred percent. So that was the first one. The second one or the next one is challenge the food police.
1: Yeah. Conceptually I agree with it. And what they're trying to say is that you're not quote good when you eat a certain number of calories and you're not quote bad if you were to eat a a chocolate cake. And I'm actually paraphrasing from their website there. And and overall, yes, hundred percent agree with that in concept. But where this goes sideways for me is again, what's developed in the book. And this is in this notion of there are no good and bad foods. And this Mm. is where we start having this mixing of ideas again, where I think there are good and bad foods. We can label them as such, but guess what? We don't label the person who eats them as that. Mm. So I always use my speeding example. I like my speeding example, like speeding is not good. In fact, we could say it's bad. (laughs) But someone who speeds is not necessarily a bad person, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. and so instead, they assume that because people internalize the label of the food that we need to get rid of the label. In my opinion, that internalization is really a reflection about what the person thinks about themselves. And that's where the work is. And that's where the change needs to be. Not that we have to change the terminology about food and what we know about the nutritional properties, that we can teach people about the nutrition qual- qual- nutritional qualities of food. We can also teach people about mental health and self-worth. And I agree that maybe the words good and bad are a little extreme. Bad might imply the never eat it. Maybe we use more healthy or less healthy. But I think the idea is that, like, yeah, a diet should have more apples than Doritos, right? Like, and mm. I used this in my TEDx talk and it was really an idea I stole from Claire of the This enjoy Claire podcast, but it's like every food doesn't get a participation trophy. Mm. <laughs> like we can call a cookie a bad food and still eat cookies and be good people. Yep. And, and if we're confused about those ideas, I suggest this is more indicative of uh, internal work that needs to be to be done, and, and that really brings me to kind of one of my main issues here in the book is that they talk a lot about you know healing your relationship with food, and to me, I don't have a relationship with a brownie, right? Like mm-hmm. I have a relationship with myself that might be reflected in my behavior eating brownies, and to me, I think they keep these concepts too tangled. Like you aren't making peace with food; you're making peace with yourself, and the mixing mm-hmm. of terminology and in precision drives me a little batty because. Like, I don't think I'm just splitting hairs to disagree here. I think what they're trying to do here is invalidate teachings of things like calories and macronutrients. And those are the underpinnings of physiology. So it's like, let's address all of the concepts here. Let's address calories and macronutrients. And then let's also address, you know, mental health, self-worth, self-love, all that stuff.
0: I love that you are making peace with food. What pops to mind is this idea of, you know, right, challenge the food police. But just hearing you and thinking about it a little bit, it feels like the individual themselves are acting as the food police. And so saying challenge the food police, when I first heard it, I was like, okay, well, who is the food police? Is it other people? Are we not like we have to say don't know to you? But it actually, if this is an issue, you're acting as the food police, which to me is actually an important distinction. It's external versus internal, which is obviously your point. But right when you say it, challenge the food police, it's almost like it's us versus them where it's actually me versus
1: me. Yes. Now, yeah. I think we do have to be cognizant of what's in the media and marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And and the sense of how do we develop those ideas about I need to be super thin or I de- derive worth from my looks. Yep. Like, I do yep. think there's some external factors there, but I do think the challenge is like, no, I, I am not going to accept those standards of what I quote right. should look like or should yeah. be. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. And accepting that that's ultimately... It does come down to you. Yes. I'm not, I'm certainly not arguing that, especially for women, that the the messages sent are obscene and persistent, but at the end of the day, you have to accept them or you have to reject them. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm, Totally. Third principle that you flagged is feel your fullness. What's that about?
1: Yeah, I mean, the it's this one's pretty intuitive how they how they write it. But yeah, it's kind of like asking yourself assessing like are you hungry? Are you full? And and they encourage you to kind of pause in the middle of eating to see if you're actually kind of enjoying the taste, all of that stuff, like how full are you getting? And mm-hmm. I think this will help with a lot of people, especially in the emotional eating camp. Like is it hunger that we're solving by eating or, or what's the other issue at play? The, the problem I have with this is, is the highly processed foods that we tend to overeat that are so ubiquitous in our modern food environment, they don't play by the same rules as apples and carrots, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. we don't feel as full on those foods as when we eat the whole unprocessed foods. And, and as you know, I do those comparison plates quite often on social media to help people understand kind of food volume versus calories. You know, I can eat myself a pint of ice cream and and literally not be full. Like it's the size of a grapefruit, right? Yep. Yet there's potentially a thousand or more calories in the difference between a grapefruit and a pint of ice cream. And so certainly getting people to slow down will help here. But ultimately I, I think That like we have obesity as a problem because of these calorically dense foods that are so commonplace, like processed Mm -hmm. foods taste really good. They have an addictive-like quality to them such that we eat more calories than we need without feeling full and without necessarily even stuffing ourselves. And Mm -hmm. and Stephan Guillenet's book, The Hungry Brain, is great on this. It's kind of the neurosignaling behind why we overeat. But like feeling my fullness on peanut butter cups like I can assure you <laughs> I can eat too many calories on peanut butter cups right and, and not be yeah. full.
0: Yeah. That's funny yesterday I was I was eating lunch and every once in a while I, I make a lunch and I'm like I should send a picture to EC because it's always just like yesterday was literally like three giant carrots and some <laughs> you're right, and some proteins I'm like I want to send EC a picture and be like this is because of you and I mean yes. that with love of course but I was eating these three giant carrots and I, and I, I finished two of them I was like I'm so, so I full. can't I don't even want this third one I'm so full
1: totally Anyways, totally it's
0: because you mentioned carrots and being full but that's <laughs> uh, but that's that's true it, that happens more often than it doesn't that I, I'm like oh, okay I gotta finish it and I don't know if you're like this too right when you measure it you add it to whatever however you list it out right yeah. and i've got a little app i just if it's in there it's like it's like the old crossfit rule right where if it's on the whiteboard you have to do to it do once it. i put it in the <laughs> thing where i said I, I have to eat it i don't it doesn't matter that's that's a little backwards but anyway, that's okay.
1: awesome
0: <laughs> all right next one fourth principle last one we're gonna talk about is honor your health gentle nutrition what does that mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, I agree with a lot of the general concept here. I keep saying that because I, I do want it to be clear that I think there's some really strong aspects of the intuitive eating premise. But you know, within this principle, the parts that I really like are you don't need to be perfect, which should sound very familiar to my audience. But this is also where they slip in their diet recommendations of mostly whole, unprocessed foods. So we've got these <laughs> yep. people that are the anti-diet people, but then they end up recommending fruits, veggies, high-fiber foods, protein-rich foods like salmon. And it's sort of like, well, I guess there's something to these foods, right? <laughs> yep. And then diets. Right, yeah, and the diets. And they call it gentle nutrition. To imply it's this, you know, without restriction, and to enjoy foods without the guilt, and and that you will feel better eating these nutritious foods. I, I can do without the gentle descriptor. Gentle descriptor, I would just call it nutrition, but whatever. It's like yeah. close enough. I'm not sure right? I would
0: ever use the word gentle with you. <laughs> I know, or rather, I don't know uh, that you would ever use "gentle" as a descriptor. Correct. Correct. That doesn't correct. feel. I would just that go, doesn't feel, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't doesn't feel, feel authentic, easy. right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but what's really interesting is, you know, they don't really want you to call foods good or bad, but yet even within this chapter, they clearly state that an apple is not the same as apple pie. That's directly mm. from the book, and and that's because you know, from the apple, you're getting these vitamins and minerals in whole foods, and so it's like they're walking this line of like promoting the nutrient density of these foods without discussing calories. But of course my audience knows that like food is never about one thing. And so when we look at these nutrient dense foods, they are typically low in calories and high in satiety. And so by having you focus on nutrient density, of course, it's a way that they can drop the calories and increase satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And, and so I love it. They talk about in this chapter, like making informed choices. And to me, it's like, well, if we're so informed, maybe we're gonna explain the whole situation, calories included, right? And yeah. why that's related to weight and health, even though those words are not synonymous. Like that to me would be quote, Making informed choice. But remember, we have to remember their context too. Their whole premise is that you don't need to lose weight to have health. And so that's how mm-hmm. they kind of get around this talking about calories because they're not really interested in that. But then yet they inevitably have you eat these healthy foods that are low in calories. So it's a little bit circular to me.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Do you get the sense that the abstaining from talking about calories is because, at least to some degree, because calories have been made to be this sort of boogeyman? By culture and saying, in the sense of you have to lose weight, you have to cut calories, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. Do you get the sense that they're avoiding it because of all the stigma attached to it or because of some other reason that they don't want to bring that up? Like they want to avoid that conversation?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 the similar thing to health at every size that they're basically saying that you can have health irregardless of what your weight is. And that weight is Mm -hmm. not a part of the health picture, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's why they wouldn't bring up calories because ultimately that comes back to the weight discussion.
0: Got it, okay. Does intuitive eating, the movement, the book, do they define health? do they define kind of an endpoint of like what we're aiming for here or, right. or how, how do they handle that?
1: Yeah. I mean, if they're talking about health and it's not a thing about weight, we definitely want to know, okay, well, what are they defining health as? Is that an outcome right. that I want for sure? And and this is really where I probably have the biggest issue with the overall premise or philosophy. And it's in that principle, the gentle nutrition principle. Mm. And, and what they say is that, you know, they want you to achieve what they call authentic health. And again, I'm not sure we need the authentic descriptor in there, but this is what they (laughs) define as authentic health, and I'm quoting directly. A process of dynamic integration of your inner world and the external world of health guidelines, which include exercise and nutrition. You decide if and what of the external world you'd like to integrate ultimately to achieve authentic health. The external world includes health policy usually a consensus from experts based on a body of research, which is often misdiagnosed End quote.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. Okay. Like (laughs) if I interpret this as the words written there, or I just said there, (laughs) they want the individual to choose which health markers to pay attention to.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Are you kidding me? Like, you think all of the medical doctors and standards and guidelines that are out there, like, they're just based off of, like, people that have no clue what they're doing and that people who have no medical training, potentially zero training in biology, should decide which markers that are going to determine their health? I mean, I think at best it's poor advice. It's it's dangerous mm. at worst, right? I mean, mm. if we were to think about any other field. And I I really liked this idea, but like where you can just ignore the standards, like think about construction, you know, building standards for building code, like electrical and fire code. I mean, who's just like, oh, well, I'm going to ignore the the electrical code and and the fire safety regulations because my inner world doesn't align (laughs) with the standards. I mean, it's just, it's just preposterous to even think that's acceptable. Now, I understand that not every doctor out there is perfectly right about anything. I understand that the conventional medicine system can be improved 100%. But I think really basic standards like maintaining a healthy weight, keeping glucose, triglycerides, cholesterol, blood pressure in certain ranges, there Mm -hmm. are reasons for them. These are sound standards that can minimize your health risk throughout your life. And then to tell people that they should choose which of those are relevant, I don't think that's appropriate at all.
0: That's interesting. Where is the balance, though, if we grant them at least some of the premise of, you know, what did they say? The body of research, which is often misdiagnosed. If we grant them at least that that's not always incorrect, right? That there's at least some truth to that, right? I think you just alluded to it. How do we meet somebody who believes that halfway? How do you find the right balance between meeting your inner world and respecting the science? Like, what is the right way to to do both of those things at once if it's possible?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I, I always recommend a second opinion. So if you if you don't think your doctor knows what they talk about, or you don't like what they say, like I say, go to another doctor. First of all, I mean, that's just, I say that with yeah. everything, whether or not that's surg- surgery decisions or diagnoses or whatever, like find another doctor, get another opinion. But I do think there's an interesting line of like, you know, do they just follow their doctor? And and then what should the individual do after the doctor tells them something, right? Like my opinion is that the individual should not choose which markers and ranges are valid. That's what they listen to their doctor for. I think what the individual should quote do is they get to choose whether they want to do anything about it. Like we talked about in the health at every size podcast that no, like health is not this moral imperative type thing. Like people you know, are not superior or better because they pursue health. That truly is an individual choice. But I do think that it needs to be an informed decision type of thing that the individual is told, Hey, this is your level of risk. This is the problem, the potential problem. And then individual decides If they want to change their diet and lifestyle or potentially go on meds or or whatever the option is, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think their choice is the medical determination of what's a risk or not. Their choice is what they kind of want to do about it and how do they want to handle that situation if the risk is acceptable to them. And to me, Mm -hmm. that's a really big difference and that's a really big nuance. And honestly, this opinion that, you know, telling people that they should kind of choose their health markers, it kind of ruins the book and the methodology for me. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I, I think they have. A huge service in in helping people with emotional eating. And I think that's awesome. But I think sweeping under the rug, that weight is a valid metric and to just kind of ignore what is the whole picture going into kind of health decisions is, is really just misguided. I mean, I don't understand why we can't just tell people the whole picture. People are intelligent, Mm -hmm. people can handle it. Like, you know, kind of going through a couple examples here, like Okay. Hey, you know, talking to somebody, you know, in an office or whatever, it's like, Hey, we've got a lot of different factors here affecting your health. Like weight is one of them. Genetics play a role such that you might be able to gain weight without issue. That's not what happens to most people in the long term. There may also be quality of life issues or orthopedic issues that you'd like to avoid. Do you want to do anything about it? These are your options. And then we can flip Mm -hmm. the script too, to people that aren't overweight, who have poor health markers. Hey, Like, you know, we know weight is one of the many factors that's not an issue for you. You have some of these other factors like high glucose or high triglycerides. You might not necessarily die from this factor, but generally we see that this is a problem. This is what you can do with diet and exercise. Are you interested, (laughs) right? Like Mm I just don't understand why those aren't the discussions, not necessarily, I don't know, telling people to ignore certain markers. Give them the whole picture, give them the information, and they can make then their informed choice.
0: It makes me think about, you know, there's this, this is an understatement, but we live in this like incredibly fractured media environment. And one of the critiques of that is, has been, and probably will be for a while, is that people now are in a position that they can choose their own facts, right? And so you choose your own facts and then you choose the narrative that goes along with that. And then suddenly your world is completely different than mine because I've chosen a different set of facts, right? Is that at least to a degree what's happening here where people are... Or they're recommending you know this idea of you know inner worlds, and I'm sorry, I keep laughing at it, but inner worlds and whatever the other side has science that people are just deciding to choose their own facts as it relates to what is important, as it relates to what is healthy. Is that at least part of what's going on? Like we'd rather choose this reality than the one that you are trying to tell us exists
1: yeah, I do I, I think I did a social media post on this. I think we talked about it briefly in a podcast, but it's sort of like be open to the possibility that your truth is not the truth. And mm-hmm. I, if you recall, I think I did the example of like restaurant reviews. Like you've probably been to a restaurant that gets really, really great reviews and had a terrible experience. And so your your truth is that you had a terrible experience. And the right. truth is that the restaurant is actually really good. And and mm-hmm. you just happened to get it on a bad night.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: And I think there's something really we have to understand that there can be this dichotomy that my lived experience might not be the experience of everybody. And just to recognize that like, it is possible to have something be different from what you know to be true in real time. (laughs) And this is especially true of health, you know, like not every, not everybody is going to have kind of your experience and your experience might actually be the outlier and not what we should recommend to everybody, right? And that's where Mm -hmm. we have to kind of look at the research and look at broad recommendations. And then also know, I kind of think with that, is that not every piece of research always goes in the same direction. And I think that kind of adds to the noise. And we've talked about this before that you might yeah. have 10 studies and eight of them say one thing and then two of them say something else. You can find a study to kind of agree with you on anything. What's more important is to look across the body of literature and say, okay, what's the general message here versus kind of mm-hmm. picking any single one to agree with you.
0: Yeah. Is the argument for intuitive eating, at least to some degree, maybe it's subtle, maybe it's, maybe it's not, that nutrition, that diet, that health, is easy or are they trying to convince people that it's easy in other words are they are they kind of pushing an idea here because it helps them it helps their argument if that makes sense
1: no i like it i mean you know and in their defense i think in some ways you could argue nutrition is easy in the sense of mm. it's easier than starving yourself and only drinking three shakes a day <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they are right that there's a ton of really crappy diets out there that are really hard to follow because you're going to be starving and you're going to be bored and you can't stick to it. So in some sense, but but that's also why I kind of recommend a more balanced approach to nutrition. Like it can be easy. You can still eat the foods you enjoy and you can still be healthy and all of that stuff. And so I, I, I hear what you're saying for sure. And I don't mind that as much about their argument only because it's kind of telling people like, don't go to the extreme of nutrition. Like we can, we can find something sustainable in the middle ground.
0: Mm. Okay. Last question we always like to talk about, or at least try to touch on the research around this. Is there valuable research in around intuitive eating? Is it too new to have kind of spurred the kind of research that is useful or what is that, what does that landscape look like?
1: Yeah, so there is some research on it, for sure. And intuitive eating generally gets put under mindful eating umbrella, which... Of course, that means that maybe they're not following exactly the 10 principle protocol and the recommendations in the book that it might be something different. But I think they're, that's a close enough kind of proxy for it. And I did find a systematic review of these types of diets actually published last year. The lead author being Grider and the title, The Influence of Mindful Eating and or Intuitive Eating Approaches on Dietary Intake, a Systematic Review. Now, Remember, as I just said, like one study can't prove anything, so we want to look for, you know, these systematic reviews or meta-analyses. okay, what happens across all of these different studies? Mm. And so from the article, and I wanted to kind of quote here that seven of the nine articles reporting on energy intake did not find significant group differences. And then eight of the 12 articles reporting on diet quality did not find significant group differences. Meaning intuitive eating and mindful eating did not significantly change energy intake, i.e. calories or diet quality. So right there, it's like, okay, well, doesn't seem that effective in terms of like diet changes. There was also then a meta-analysis done in 2019. The lead author, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but Artiles titled Mindful Eating and Common Diet Programs lower body weight similarly, and that's a systematic review and meta-analysis. And so this one, unlike the other one that was just looking, okay, like how did the food choices change? This one is saying, okay, well, what about the outcome, right? Did their weight actually change compared to other diet approaches? And they did find that mindful eating could actually reduce your weight. Turns out it was less than a pound, but okay, they found out that mindful eating could reduce your pound, could reduce your weight by a pound. But that was no different than other weight loss outcomes. So if you follow Mm -hmm. another diet, you could also, guess what, lose a pound, no surprise. So you might be thinking, well, doesn't that show that conventional weight loss programs aren't any better than mindful eating? And to some degree, you would be right. I think you always have to be aware of the limitations of these studies and the types of studies that there are that a lot of the weight loss studies out there they don't actually control for total calories because people would have to be kind of watched 24/7 if that was the case mm. they often use those self-reported intake forms which we know typically have a lot of errors and a lot of underreporting and so i think that you know for some people mindful eating can be definitely a way that they improve their dietary intake therefore resulting in potentially weight loss and or other better better health metrics. The rub is, I would say that about virtually every diet out there Mm -hmm. (laughs) from Mediterranean diet to low carb to even, you know, my own 800 gram challenge. And so that's where we have to recognize, okay, what are the underlying drivers here and be clear about why each diet may or may not be successful and not to try to change, you know, the definitions of health let's say or to remove weight from the equation you know for other purposes but instead just sort of identify the similarities it's like okay well it's really calories and macronutrients and the quality at play and maybe it's our behavior surrounding those choices that then are affecting that overall quantity
0: cool i think it's a good place to wrap up this conversation about intuitive eating thank you ec Just as a reminder for folks, check out 800-gram challenge if you want a little bit more of an organized approach and you want to eat a lot of carrots, I recommend it. OptimizeMe.com slash 800G. Thank you everybody out there for listening, for leaving your ratings and your reviews. They do help and they make us feel good. So please keep them coming and we'll see everybody again soon on another episode of The Consistency Project.
1: Hi all, EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support, for the five-star ratings and the reviews, and for telling your friends or family about the podcast. That really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizeme slash email I send out emails weekly-ish, <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com email, and there's also a link in the show notes.